This week on The Elucidators, we're recording on Tuesday, July 7th, about a week after the Chinese Communist Party imposed a new national security law in Hong Kong. Now, we knew that this law was likely to be on the authoritarian side of things, but neither we nor other monitors of the situation thought it would be quite this draconian. In effect, the arrangement between China and the United Kingdom, which was to allow for one country, two systems, from 1997 to 2047, is now dead and buried, and Hong Kong has become just another Chinese city. What does this mean for China's relationships with the West, especially the United Kingdom, the United States, and the many multinational corporations that retain offices in Hong Kong? Will we look back at this as the start of a new Sino-American Cold War? We've got opinions. And welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I'm your host, Steve Pally. And with me for the first time as co-host is my good friend, gentleman, scholar, producer, Pete Newsom. How you doing, man? Good to have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. I'm doing all right, man. It's good to be here. It's yeah. good to be uh, talking to you. It's Yeah, I mean, look... Uh, <laughs> You've been with the show actually for quite a while now, I think six months, but uh, you haven't appeared in front of the mic too often. So it's very cool mm-hmm. uh, to see you in this new role. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been it's been a hidden special occasion kind of thing up till now. <laughs> and now, yeah, here I am. Here, here you are. And we were joking earlier, one of us is going to do our best to me impression. And I don't know if that's you or me. Uh, the other guy will, I guess, be me. <laughs> so maybe I'll well, be Sumi and you can be me. Look, man, we miss Sumi. I- I'm the one who built like my own little walk-in closet about around myself here. So I feel like <laughs> I'm doing the best Sumi impression, but like it's true. It's true. I'll give you the crown if you want to wear it. It's okay. Yeah. A quick recap. Uh Sumi step away from the show for a little while. Uh we we assume he's still listening. Uh Sumi, you can tell us everything we've done wrong. Um <laughs> just just write into the elucidators at gmail.com after the show. Or hit us up on yeah. social media. Um, but you already knew that. Anyway, Pete, uh, so you did not go to graduate school with me. Hey, 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 come on now, man. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> However, you did go to elementary, middle, and high school with me in scenic Nevada County, California. That I did. You're not wrong about that. Yeah. So we've known each other for quite, a, quite some time. Yeah, would you say 1991 probably is when we met? Or 89 right. more like? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I arrived in Nevada County in 89. Uh, and okay. I think we met pretty quickly after that. That's right. Yeah. So we go way back. There's some history there. And there's even some recording history. If <laughs> Unless I'm uh, misremembering, you were pretty early to the camcorder game around no, that time. No, no, your memory serves you properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had, you know, a high eight Sony Handycam, mm. and I used to get into the stop motion stuff. Uh, and and you and I would make little stop motion videos with like Legos and stuff like that. Good times, um, very good times. I was saying maybe we should pivot this podcast into like a high eight stop motion <laughs> yeah. animation. It's just just pitching it. I've got a uh, Boba Fett doll sitting on my desk, and you can slack <laughs> me what you want me to do with it. And like run the webcam. 
Okay. <laughs> that sounded wrong. Yeah, but, that sounded a little bit weird. Like, this isn't that kind of show, but um, maybe it will be going forward. We're doing all these new ideas. So New ideas. It's a, it's a new time for the elucidators. But Pete, you're an elucidator, man. How do you feel? Thanks, homie. Um, I feel like that's quite a, an important hat to put on, and I'm not sure I'll wear it properly, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, can I elucidate? You, you can. It fits you to a T. Um, yeah. Why don't you start by telling me where are we this week and what the heck happened? Sure. That's a good idea, Steve. Um, this week, we're talking about Hong Kong. Uh, again, man. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it before. We've talked about it before. This is the third time, is it? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a reason we're talking about Hong Kong, of course. It's that the Chinese government in mainland China passed a, uh, a national security law on um, Hong Kong last week. Mm. That is a really important new development that changes Hong Kong dramatically and uh, changes life in Hong Kong dramatically. Right. So let's talk just a little bit about some background on Hong Kong. Sure. Um, Hong Kong was a UK colony, a British colony for over a century. And uh, in 1997... UK and China agreed to for for Britain to hand Hong Kong back over to China. That's right. And part of that agreement was that for 50 years, so until the year 2047, Hong Kong would maintain its own system of government, which That's right. resembles democracy in some ways. Kind of. <laughs> Important ways. <laughs> yeah. Like free speech was part of that picture. Free speech, rule of law, uh, people did vote. Um, their votes didn't necessarily count the same. It's mm. so Hong Kong was kind of a like almost an oligarchy, I would call it. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a lot more democratic than what we've seen in China for quite a long time. Right. Okay. So it was a unique form of government to mm-hmm. Hong Kong, and the idea was that until 2047, that would remain Hong Kong's government system. Yeah, we would have one country which is China. Hong Kong would be part of China, technically, but two systems. The Chinese would maintain their system and Hong Kong would have their unique system. Got it. And so, in fact, one country, two systems was officially the motto. That right? was the motto, yeah. I don't know whose motto. You Maybe you could elucidate. Uh, I don't remember, <laughs> to be honest with you. Whoever okay. was in charge in 1997. <laughs> Got it. Well, I'm going to, I'll edit that out. Yeah, that's all right. Or not. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, I'm leaving it in. Steve doesn't know. Fair <laughs> yeah, enough. I don't know. So under this like system, under this paradigm, yes. Hong Kong became a major global financial center. That's right. And it's like it, it became a city-state with its own unique culture. That's right. Thriving, yeah. prosperous city-state, cosmopolitan place, known around the world. It It has a stock market. Is that correct? Yeah, major... Major stock market, um, obviously a center of cinema, a center of uh, culinary delight. Um, <laughs> All right, I don't care what's going on there. I'm flying over right now. No, nah, I, I actually, I'm not flying anywhere. No one. <laughs> Come we, on, we can't go there. We're American. Yeah. We have coronavirus. Yes, yeah, right. We're we're sitting here in LA for a while. Yeah. Um. So Hong Kong thrived independently of China, despite the fact that it was under Chinese government control. Yeah. Technically. It was hands-off, though, and it was governed according to what was called the Basic Law, um, which is kind of like a mini-constitution for Hong Kong. 
Got it. Okay. So over the past year, coming up to the present day, mm-hmm. there have been protests in Hong Kong in favor of, in support of democracy. So as China has become more authoritarian over the past decade, decade and a half, the Hong Kongers have looked at it and and thought, you know, perhaps our way of life and our way of government is under threat. Correct. And as a response, pro-independence and pro-democracy protesters have been going out in the street and in fact, it became pretty violent over the last year. Is that correct? A lot of unrest? Yeah. So there, there's been a lot of crazy pictures coming out of Hong Kong. We did two shows on it. Um, it's, it's, there's been some violence on the part of the protesters. Uh, there's also been a lot of nonviolence and peaceful protest. And there, the authorities have responded with violence. Okay. A lot of arrests. Um, a lot of what I would call pitched battles between youthful student protesters and riot cops, battalions of riot cops, up to the point of engineering students building their own catapults and trebuchets, like medieval weaponry, to launch projectiles at riot cops. That's pretty Uh, crazy, man. Like, if you build a catapult that can do that, I feel like you deserve credit if you're an engineering student. Yeah, that's for sure course credit. Like, create and operate a weapon of medieval weapon of war during a riot. (laughs) There's a lot of like leverage principles that you got to bring in there. Yeah. It's simple machines. (laughs) (laughs) So where are we at? These protests were happening and they were in favor of democracy. So they, the protesters wanted to take the Hong Kong form of government beyond even the degree of freedom and freedom of speech that they had and actually enshrine democracy as the way of life in That's Hong right. Kong. They wanted uh, basically independence or at least self-determination for Hong Kong. And under that rubric, that umbrella, they, they would have more democracy, a true democracy, um, okay. which Hong Kong has never been, to be clear. And yeah, th- this again was a, an aspiration uh, expressed by the youth of Hong Kong in large numbers. And one important element of these protests that the protesters were protesting Mm -hmm. was the idea of extradition to mainland China. hundred percent. There was fear that maybe soon enough there would be a law allowing mainland China to extradite Hong Kong citizens to the mainland to be tried there. And that's a very different type of trial. Yeah, that's what you call a show trial in most <laughs> cases, or not even that, just something that happens behind closed doors and then you disappear. Right, it's not where you want to be uh, in court. Not not in front of a jury, which is what you'd usually get in Hong Kong um, with lawyers and stuff like that. You might have a lawyer, I don't know. I don't know what they do in China, um, other than the fact that it is not based on either <laughs> like civil code innocent until proven guilty yeah exactly a little (laughs) bit more uh, napoleonic character guilty until proven innocent so in may Mm -hmm. so now two months ago uh china announced that they were developing a new national security law correct yeah did they announce it or was it just rumored no it was announced and at that time nobody knew what was going to be in it including the Chinese, because they hadn't written it yet. They just said, we're going to do this thing because Hong Kong, uh, your authorities have fallen down on the job and we are sick of these protests. It looks really bad for the Chinese Communist Party. You know, we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be exerting control. 
You know, we're, we're not supposed to be having demonstrations for democracy anywhere on our territory. That, right. is, that is not what we're looking to do. Um, so we're going to take away the keys to your car here. And, and yet, they, they said that, but no one, including them, knew what they would do with that law, like yeah. how they'd take the keys away. Yeah, no, we suspected that it was going to be bad. Uh, and I think, I think we are on record saying, look, a number of things are going to happen, right? We're going to see secret police, uh, Chinese secret police in Hong Kong. We're going to see people start disappearing, is basically yeah. what we said. It, you did. And let's, let's talk about the law and see if, if you kind of called it. Mm. Um, Hong Kong had no input whatsoever in the crafting of this law, the nope. Hong Kong government. Nope. They just had to sit there and wait for this new law to be announced. That's to right. learn what was in it. Correct. Um, it was developed, the law was developed in secret by the Chinese Communist Party, and it was announced and enacted about a week ago. Yeah, so it was on the same day. <laughs> on June 30th and enacted on July 1st. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everyone at once learned what was in it and then... Was subject to it. Were subject to it within yeah. the course of like 24 hours. If that is <laughs> probably less than 24 maybe, hours. Maybe 12 hours. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. less. So let's talk about what the law does. Um, essentially, it turns Hong Kong into, quotes, just another Chinese city, which... I think it's the best way to characterize it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's subject to really a lot of the exact same things as any other city in mainland China. Mm-hmm. Um, it is now effectively run by a five-person security board. So what does that mean? So it used to be... Uh, and still is the case that Hong Kong has its own legislature um, for local matters. But um, when push comes to shove, it was run by Carrie Lam, who was a career diplomat who is appointed by China's central government to govern Hong Kong. It was, she is uh, Hong Kong's chief executive. She has been joined by four Chinese Communist Party officials, career officials, on a five-person pers- security board. Um, so if you're counting, that's one vote against four on a five-person board. And is she really even against? I mean, she's she's aligned politically with the other four, right? She is, but keep in mind that she was never willing to go whole hog against the protesters. She was never willing to use deadly violence against them. She was never willing to uh, jail them for life or anything like that. Not that she could. Uh, necessarily under Hong Kong's basic law. Right. Um, well, things have changed. She was, yes, they have <laughs> quite dramatically. Uh, she was standing in between kind of two factions and trying to mediate between them. I think she is certainly pro Beijing, but she mm. also didn't want to come down hard on hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong youth. Got it. It's interesting that she has been, you know, left as part of this five person group. Right. She wasn't she wasn't replaced. So she wasn't replaced, but she was diluted, which was a great word you used earlier when we were yeah. talking about this. True enough. True enough. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh when when you're a, a founder of a startup and you take on too many investors. It's like, yeah, you're Uh-oh. still in control, but you're kind of not. Yeah. Now you have to put a dislike button on Exactly. <laughs> Whatever we say, right? Yeah. We're on the board. Um Let's talk about what else is in this law. Yeah. Another part of this, which is pretty uh, dramatic, is that mm. Chinese security services can now operate in Hong Kong. So Nailed it. I Nailed mean, it. that's it, is that basically like secret police? Yeah. 
yeah, it's the CIA, it's the FBI, the ATF. I guess those other guys aren't secret. Um, more CIA. <laughs> but uh, Who? I've never heard of them. No. Yeah, exactly. I don't know anybody in the CIA. They just uh, they have business cards with their first name on it, say U.S. government. <laughs> but uh, there was a suspicion uh, that the security services were already operating in Hong Kong, but this was officially denied. Now it is... Uh, officially confirmed. <laughs> it's like so. You've yes. got you've got Chinese secret police officers now living and operating working, operating in Hong Kong, yeah. spying, watching what citizens are doing. Yeah, perhaps protesting next to them, stuff like that. Okay, well, that's a big deal. That changes things in a former uh, free area mm-hmm. quite a lot. Um. Also part of this law, there's a new category called, quotes, uh, crimes against the state, which include subversion, collusion with foreign powers, uh, and terrorism. And these crimes are punishable by death. Yeah, so, up to life imprisonment and death if you get uh, written up for one of these crimes, which can be very liberally liberally interpreted. Mm-hmm. And um, we've already seen, I think, 10 people uh, in the space of a week, subject to uh, these provisions in the law, out of 400 people arrested in general. And I think the idea is basically to make an example of a small fraction of these people. And so within one week of this law passing, yeah. they arrested 400 people mm-hmm. and chose to charge 10 of them under the new law. Correct. For stuff like subversion, yeah, et or, or insulting the state or whatever. What, like, it doesn't matter what they call it. It's just right. like we're we're going to light you up and within the course of a week they're they're making examples of correct 10 people, essentially and that was the idea all along it's to terrify everybody else so one guy that they got apparently had a pro independence flag on the back of his motorbike and crashed into a group of policemen and it's not clear whether he did that on purpose or whether it was an accident or whether the cops like surrounded him either way that sounds like a big bummer of a day for that guy <laughs> yeah. Driving into a group of police with, yeah, okay. Yeah, but other people have been uh, written up on this law for holding signs that say the wrong thing, um, that say, you know, we want independence for Hong Kong. So a lot of protesters, people, protesters that are still brave enough to uh, put themselves on the line are now holding up blank signs, just white pieces of paper, Mm -hmm. um, so that... Uh, what <laughs> there's nothing written, so they can't be taken up for for subversion. Um, I see. Although I I don't really think that would stop um, the Chinese if, if they. Yeah, one has to imagine that that soon enough the government Chinese government will see blank signs as symbolic, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and as soon as they're symbolic, then they're subversive. Then you have the same problem. Exactly right. Um, and then protesters will just mime holding up signs. Right. And, that aren't there. Yeah. And that'll be a problem soon enough as well. Yeah. Okay. So if you happen to be arrested under this new law for any of those crimes, the next step is you're extradited. Well, actually, I don't know if this is true. Are you extradited to mainland China or well, do you think trials will take place in Hong Kong? This is all stuff that can happen under the okay. terms of the law. I think in many cases it will not happen, but in some, I think, well-publicized cases it will. Okay. Um, what will those trials be like? Uh, they will. Many of them will be in secret. Uh, they will not be in front of a jury. Uh, it's possible that the judge will not be 
a Hong Konger. Um, mm. Like these are all options, basically, okay. because these are these are state security crimes. It's like a Guantanamo Bay type stuff, basically. Wow. And if you're arrested in any other Chinese city, that's already how these things go. Yeah. But it's not been the way they go in Hong Kong. Yeah. No, this is just life in Beijing or Shanghai. So, okay. yeah, it's if you're causing problems, you might just wake up disappeared. I see. Um, part of this new law is that when someone's arrested, the state can collect their DNA, mm-hmm. which obviously can be problematic in ways that we know about now, but can also potentially be problematic in the future when new technologies are developed. Yeah. Who, who knows what they can yeah. do with this? It's, it's meant to intimidate and it does <laughs> right. basically. Once your DNA is in someone's possession, uh, mm-hmm. your DNA never changes. So they have, they have something about you that yeah. <laughs> can be used. Well, to be fair, I've voluntarily given up my DNA to 23andMe 10 years ago because I wanted to know yeah. uh, what my ethnic makeup was and whether I, I uh, was sensitive to caffeine. It turns well, out that I am. I, I bought it and I cloned you. So it <laughs> sort of demonstrates that actually your co-host next week is the clone I made. Perfect. You. I was going to say, dude, like, that's really <laughs> thinking ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just proof of concept kind of thing. Like, right. Be careful who has that. I guess my clone still needs to earn the PhD and all of that. So we're going to have to wait probably at least six years. Six years. Wow. That's, uh-huh. a, that's quite an amount of time you put in there. Hey, that's, that's good time, man. Yeah, you, you burned through it? <laughs> yeah. Look at you now. Um, where are we at? So they, this law says they can, you know, the Chinese government can collect your DNA when they arrest you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing we're seeing happening is libraries. Mm-hmm. in Hong Kong are removing books from circulation to be assessed and to be determined uh, as either allowed or not allowed. Right. Problematic content. Problematic or not. Written by pro-democracy authors, uh, including notable uh, protest leaders. In addition, we're starting to see censorship on the internet and social media. A lot of that censorship is self-censorship. People are taking down their their accounts and purging uh, their pages because they don't want to be seen as unreliable. They don't want to be investigated by <laughs> secret police. That's an extremely rapid change. Like, yes, all the way up until this law one week ago, people in Hong Kong were comfortable putting up symbolism, being in favor of yeah. democracy and saying things online. Um, even though there were, was violence in those protests, people weren't dissuaded from speaking their mind. This no, law has had the effect of dissuading people from speaking their mind rapidly. Mm-hmm. Like cafes and coffee shops and business, small businesses in Hong Kong have had signage in their windows, you know, pro-democracy slogans in their windows and political statements out front, you know, written and displayed. And within one week, many of them have pulled those sorts of things down. Taken it all down. Yeah, Yeah, it's happened really quickly. Yeah, because uh, things have gotten very real very quickly. And that was the intent. (laughs) Wow. So this law applies to anyone anywhere. Uh, Does that mean anyone anywhere in Hong Kong? No, not just Hong Kong. Um, It could be overseas dissidents. 
so okay. Chinese nationals overseas, um, or it could be foreigners in Hong Kong. Those are the two most likely <laughs> applications of this part <laughs> of the law. So if someone from another country travels to Hong Kong now and says something that the Chinese Communist Party finds subversive, yes, they could be jailed for life. Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, for instance, if you have recorded a series of podcasts impugning the dignity, the dignity of the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> Come on, man. I was hoping to go there like at least once. Yeah. Sorry, man. Okay. Um, well, there are other cool places to go. Whatever. Absolutely. Singapore. <sighs> yeah, for sure. Are you allowed to chew gum there yet? I doubt it very much. Oh, I don't really chew that much gum anyway. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Going to Singapore. Let's see where we at. Um, that's crazy. This law applies to just anyone in Hong Kong or anyone, Chinese citizens around the world. Yeah. As an aside, we've seen uh, this week in the news that the Chinese government has a program in which they are tracking and trying to, I guess you would say, capture and return to China dissidents and people that they find politically problematic yeah chinese former chinese citizens who they find that's right even green card holders and naturalized u.s citizens are getting harassed by chinese intelligence operatives in the united states they call this operation fox hunt and uh sort of the putative reason to do this is you know these are supposedly corrupt officials or like bad businessmen or whatever that fled the country ahead of uh, Xi Jinping's anti-corruption efforts. There's probably some amount of that that is true, but in many cases, it's just a lot of people that the party doesn't like and wants to shut up. Um, ideally, by intimidating them into silence, but if necessary, taking them back to China <laughs> and doing whatever with them. Well, that's really something else. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad business, man. So basically, to sum up this law, this this new national security law in Hong Kong, everyone expected it to be draconian. Yes. But it's even more draconian than anyone expected. Yeah, it, it is uh, 100%, 110% full force and uh, one country, and two systems, all that, dead, buried, gone. Done. Over. <laughs> Finished. Kaput. <laughs> Finito. Yeah. One country, one system. One country, one system, our system, Chinese system. Yeah. So that has happened, and it's something big. How are governments and, and corporations and businesses in the West who are watching this responding? Good question. Um, because here's the thing. Hong Kong has always been suspended in between East and West. It was a British territory for something like 150 years. Uh, and... There are lots and lots and lots of English speakers there. Um, and as it turns out, a fair number of what the UK, Boris Johnson's government, is now calling potential British citizens. Three million Hong Kongers were born before 1997 and, and their dependents uh, add up to three million. And there are 7 million people living in Hong Kong? Yeah, so 40% <laughs> of, the, of the territory's population. The UK, Britain is saying, go ahead, 40% of you people who live in Hong Kong, you, you can move to the UK. Yeah, you can move to the UK on a five-year visa with a path to citizenship. And keep in mind that Boris Johnson's conservative party is anti-immigrant. 
So, yeah, that's a pretty dramatic, <laughs> dramatically symbolic thing for them to. Yeah, but <laughs> the 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 British generally are in favor of this um, because they have said, with I think some justification, you guys busted our deal. Like mm-hmm. this was not the deal. Uh, the deal was not uh, to maintain one country, two systems for twenty three years. No, it was to do the full fifty years. That's right. You've broken the deal, and so we are free to do whatever we want, and we're going to <laughs> offer a rescue, a rescue boat um, to forty percent of your city's population, <laughs> basically. Um, I guess one has to wonder how many Hong Kongers are considering that right now, or how many Hong Kongers can consider it, because it's not that easy to move all the way across the world at the drop of a hat. It's not that easy. What would make you do it? Uh, I think that if you are already on China's list for being unreliable and uh, perhaps you've been a protest leader, you might end up in the UK. A number of those people are already in the UK and they're talking about setting up a parliament in exile, Mm. um, which is something that happened a lot during both World War II and and, uh, (laughs) during the Cold War. With the idea that the parliament would return someday. Um, exactly. Exactly right. And, and this, was what, this was what Taiwan was for a long time. They called themselves the Republic of China, like the true government of China. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would, we would have a true democratic government of Hong Kong located in London or something like that. I see. Yeah. So the UK is making a powerful enemy in China. <laughs> China has threatened the UK not very subtly saying you're making an enemy of us, you're going to want to think really carefully about that. Well, right, because not only has the UK offered this pathway to citizenship for all those people, um, it's retaliating from a business standpoint as well, isn't it? Yes. Like an economic standpoint, what's it doing? So the UK is in the process of barring Huawei, which is a major Chinese tech firm that provides, among other things, 5G cellular equipment. And the UK was going to do a deal to bring Huawei technology into Britain to power the next generation of its mobile internet. Uh, 5G does two things. It provides really, really blazing fast mobile internet. And um, depending on who you follow on Instagram and certain other social media sites, it spreads coronavirus. But that's that second one's a little bit uh, less confirmed. Okay. But uh, point being... Um, the U.S. has already banned Huawei and is encouraging all of its allies to do so as well because the expectation is that Huawei is going to work hand-in-glove with the Chinese Communist Party uh, to allow Chinese security services to spy through this technology on the West. Yeah, and that seems to me to be maybe a reasonable supposition. Yeah, especially since our companies do it for our government <laughs> mm-hmm. in many cases. Okay. Not all of them, but but many of them do. So it's a concern for those countries that are not wanting their data and information to be funneled back to the Chinese government. Correct. Um, China has threatened the UK in retaliation. Yes. To the UK's move. What has the US done in response to this new national security law in Hong Kong? Right. So the the U.S. has been in the process of revoking Hong Kong's special status. And what this means is that Hong Kong was considered 
kind of its own place aside from China, as long as one country, two systems was in effect. Um, as of, I think, right before this law was promulgated, that is no longer the case. It is now treating Hong Kong as just another Chinese city, which it is, um, meaning that it is subject to the same tariffs and, uh, I suppose, other arrangements that the rest of China is. That seems to have pretty large implications for econo- the economy of Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah, it certainly can. It certainly can. Um, the first sort of steps the Trump administration is talking about includes limiting tech transfer uh, to Hong Kong, uh, especially the Hong Kong security services. So uh, making sure that they can't use the latest AI stuff coming out mm-hmm. of the United States, the latest data processing stuff. Um, since, you know, we still have advantages in those areas, mm-hmm. at least some of those techno- technical areas. Um, in addition, the administration is looking at sanctioning individual officials uh, that are active in violating human rights in Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, and there will be plenty of those <laughs> in the near future. Right. Uh, it, does the U.S. sanction mainland China for officials in mainland China? for? Yeah. So the U.S. has started sanctioning Chinese officials for their activities in Xinjiang against the Uyghur Muslim minority. Um, and the Chinese have opened gigantic concentration camps. And we've talked about this too on the show. Yeah. Uh, up to a million Uyghurs are stuck in these camps uh, where they're being, well, oppressed. Or, you know, the Chinese would call it uh, retrained and reeducated, but that's a pretty euphemistic way to look at what's happening there. Right. It's a massive, massive human rights violation on a scale that we haven't seen too much of recently. Yeah, that's a separate and also quite insane thing that's going on over there. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Okay, so the U.S. government might sanction officials in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. and then there's an even bigger thing that they're considering, right? Yeah, so the nuclear option would be closing down Hong Kong's access to U.S. dollars, because Hong Kong has its own dollar, the Hong Kong dollar, and it's pegged to the U.S. dollar, meaning the exchange rate is fixed. And this has really helped both Hong Kong and China gain access to foreign exchange in the form of U.S. dollars over the years. And it's helped make Hong Kong a financial superpower um, Mm -hmm. because basically it's way more stable uh, attached to uh, U.S. currency. The U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency. So everybody who does international trade and finance basically needs to settle debts right. in the U.S. dollar. And if the Hong Kong dollar is basically the next best thing to the U.S. dollar, then the Hong Kong dollar is, as a consequence, more powerful. But there are ways for the United States to cut off access to U.S. dollars through the financial system. And but they're not about to do that tomorrow in response to this law. Like probably not. Probably not because it would hurt the United States pretty badly too. They're starting with smaller stuff, um but if the US wanted to get real serious and basically destroy Hong Kong's stock market and its banking sector and so on, uh and limit the ability of China to get US dollars into the country, this is one of the steps it could take. I see. But this would be this would represent a major, major, major escalation. And would potentially hurt the US in yeah. addition to Hong Kong. We do Oh, definitely. Yeah. Some number of billions of dollars of trade with Hong Kong, right? 
Yeah, but keep in mind that the Trump administration has already gone down that road. We've hurt ourselves a lot with the trade war um, in an effort to hurt the Chinese even more. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? It, may, it could happen again. Right. So the UK government has responded one way. The US government has responded another. So let's talk about what business is doing. Yeah, they're kind of on the same page because they're allies. But yes, uh, businesses, this is important too because there are a ton of multinational corporations that uh, have regional headquarters in Hong Kong. Uh, A lot of companies that do business in China uh, are set up in Hong Kong in addition to now Shanghai or Shenzhen. Um, I guess less Shenzhen because Shenzhen is literally like 20 miles away from Hong Kong, but certainly Shanghai at this point. So... There, there are a ton of U.S. corporations and other multinationals, British corporations, European corporations, Japanese, and so on. And when this law was revealed, they kind of took a look at it and said what they were supposed to say, which was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> because if you run one of these corporations, man, uh, you're going to need some time to plan a response if you're going to leave. Right. So in the interim, you say okay, we're okay with this. Yeah. And in private, you start to plan moving your headquarters. Exactly. Maybe. But that can take months or years. Maybe. Yeah. Um, some number of you know corporate leaders are apparently okay with it. So there are something like 1,300 plus U.S. corporations operating in Hong Kong. And a, a very recent survey, I guess in the last week, polled 80% of that leadership as having major concerns about the new law and 40% as considering moving their headquarters to someplace like Tokyo or Singapore as okay. a result of this. So 1,300-plus U.S. corporations, yeah. 80% say in private, in polls, that they have major concerns. Major concerns. 40% yeah. considering moving, so that's going to have a huge effect if that happens Yeah, on Hong Kong's economy. Yeah, my guess is that it, it'll be nowhere close to that because the implications of moving are can be quite severe. But yeah, we're going to get some... Probably some major defections is my guess. Sounds like corporations are telling their employees that they should not support protesters. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to the law, uh, they the the corporate leadership apparently was hearing from uh, pro Beijing sources in the Hong Kong government and also business connections in China that uh, they should disallow their employees from supporting the protests. Um, so it's, it's the Chinese using every available lever of power, basically. Got it. And the biggest concern for these companies is stability, basically, for them to be op- able to operate. Yeah. I mean, they're publicly traded and they need to hit their quarterly targets. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem. Right. China is a huge market. It's, you know, depending on what you do, either the number two or number one market in the entire world um, in most cases. Mm-hmm. And like you need that business. Got to, to some extent, play ball. You have to play ball until you figure out an alternative. I think a number of companies are now considering alternatives I in see. a way that they they were not. Because, look, if the rule of law just got defunct in Hong Kong and it's now just another Chinese city, plenty of foreign corporations do business in, in other Chinese cities. Right. That's not the problem. It's the instant revocation. That's the problem. It's because that raises a lot of questions about what other shoes can drop in the future. Yeah. And the rules are very different thus far on mainland China if you want to do business there. 
True. So adaptation has to happen within the companies. Yeah. And so some, some number of people are going to be like, well, not only am I morally and ethically horrified by what's happened here, it's like there's too much uncertainty um, mm. and I just want to go someplace else. That totally. being said, you know, some number of companies are like, there was too much uncertainty before because these protests were actually destabilizing and they caused a recession. So you can kind of look at yeah, it both ways. Those were pretty intense uh, protests. They no were. Doubt. A lot of stuff was on fire. So <laughs> Any, anytime catapults are in the mix, these buttoned up companies are like, hmm, let's, let's think about this a little bit. Yeah. So it's somewhat predictable that the economy in Hong Kong might take some sort of a hit. Yeah. And mainland China knows that or the Chinese government. They definitely know it. Yeah. So they're saying we're going to step up economically and support the Hong Kong e- economy. Like you're, we're assimilating you, but we're going to make sure your economy is okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Because as Western capital pulls out, if that is in fact what happens, um, Chinese capital can step up and move in and kind of fill in the hole. And if China is going to make a play for hegemony, if it's going to make a play for, you know, running the world in the way that the United States has run the world since the end of World War II, Mm -hmm. that remains to be seen. Um, They're making moves suggesting that they're more interested in that now than than they were. Uh, If they're going to do that, they need to be ready to basically fill in these gaps when they occur. Got it. Otherwise, they're never going to be able to step up and do it. And we're seeing huge Chinese corporations uh, raise a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. On on the Hong Kong stock market. Exactly. And they're still going to need to be able to do that. And I think um, if you're a Western investor, you're still going to want to invest in companies like Alibaba and JD.com, among many others, because Mm -hmm. those are huge companies and huge opportunities to make money. Right. So... A few things have happened in the last month yeah. as far as China's actions in the world go. We've mm-hmm. seen, a, what would you call it, a skirmish, a physical fight on the border between China and India that resulted in the death of troops on both sides. I think t- yes. 20, 20 Indian troops and maybe 40 Chinese troops. Something like that. So that was a, essentially a physical small fight. It was a fracas. It was like a gang war. A fracas. Yeah. It, that is ne- that's never happened before in this disputed area. So No. There's an example of, you know, some assertiveness on the part of the chi- Chinese government. Um, yes. Then there's this new national security law in Hong Kong. The, the pattern seems to be rapid, increased assertiveness from the Chinese government. That's right. Um, what does that signal? I mean... It looks like maybe what's coming out into the open is that the intent of the Chinese government is to have a new Cold War. Yeah, so certainly though that phrase is being thrown around a lot more by the foreign policy establishments of both countries and podcasters like yours <laughs> truly uh, in, in a show that we did maybe a month ago about China's, I guess, provocative act- actions in its near abroad. And... What has happened to Hong Kong virtually overnight, or literally overnight, recalls to me the start of the first Cold War uh, against the Soviet Union. Um, 
shortly after the World, World War II, uh, Berlin, the first of all, Germany was divided between East and West, basically, between the Soviets and the Western allies. The whole country was divided. And the capital of Germany, Berlin, was also divided into East and West. So West Berlin was actually located, it was a tiny island of Western, I guess, uh, power in a Soviet sea. And the Soviets tried to choke the life out of West Berlin with a blockade, and we responded with an airlift that kept West Berlin alive. So we were dropping things from planes? Correct. We were dropping supplies from planes. Like food? Yes, principally food, food, medicine, fuel, that sort of thing. And the Soviets were trying to deny those things to the... Yeah, they, they had shut down the roads through their territory to West Berlin. And this went on for a while. Eventually, they gave up. But this was kind of the start of the Cold War. Because okay. it was a powerful symbol of, you know, this, I guess, half city um, that was being starved out <laughs> in the middle of a sea of authoritarianism. Do you see Hong Kong as being com- comparable to West Berlin? It's not the same thing, but it is kind of a huge symbolic moment that can cause people to really take notice of what's going on in a new way. Absolutely. It's somewhat shocking to see how fast this has changed. changed. Yeah. And in particular, it's like with the Chinese, you can talk about the trade war, you can talk about, you know, fights over technology and diplomacy and what they're doing in the developing world and so on. And most people's eyes just glaze, glaze over, you know, only nerds like myself mm-hmm. get really animated about that stuff. But when you talk about Hong Kong, everybody knows Hong Kong, you know, it's like Hong Kong cinema, Hong Kong cuisine, all of it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's well known and it's treasured globally. Yeah. It's, it's a cosmopolitan place that many people from all over the world have been to. Yeah. And it's 7 million people that until very recently enjoyed a lot of the same freedoms we do. And now they don't. Yeah. It's very eye opening in a way that not much compares to. Yeah, that's right. And, and people respond to stories and symbols, right? Much more than they respond to technical explanations. And I just think like Hong Kong kind of vanishing off the map of, I guess, liberal polities uh, so quickly and so decisively. Um, at some point in the future, people may look back at this as like a decisive break. And the right. start of a, of a Sino-American Cold War. Right. And within the next month or two, we're likely to see responses of varying degrees of, you know, severity. But yeah. we're going to see some stuff happen in response to this. Yeah, man. Stuff's going to kick off. I, I don't know what. Um, but uh, the Trump administration is making a lot of noises. Um, Look, Pompeo is saying he's going to, like, try to get TikTok outlawed here. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Where am I going to get my ridiculous uh, dances? They they started with the nuclear option there. Yeah, right. It's crazy. TikTok. Come on. For what it's worth, India has already kicked TikTok off of its app stores. Um, they did that last week. They did, and yeah. So China did not like that at all. It turns they out they did not. It, yeah, they they wanted that data, didn't they? It's considered a big deal in China to the Chinese government. They're not happy. Well, 
Are we done? We definitely have talked about this new national security law in Hong Kong. We totally did. I don't think anyone could say that we didn't talk about it. <laughs> we spent damn near 45 minutes talking about it. Pete, you elucidated, man. Thanks, You're looking man. good. You're sounding good. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, dude. And I suppose, barring you know some unforeseen circumstance, we will be coming at everybody next week with some other damn thing that happens. Further elucidations. Further elucidations. Elucidating is one of those things where you don't know you're doing it while you're doing it. And then you look back and you're like, <laughs> Hey, I did elucidate. Yeah. You're positively glowing with uh, knowledge and and, uh, probity. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. You are too, man. So talk to you next week, yeah? Talk to you next week, buddy. All right. See ya. See ya.